Welcome to the Marketing Stir Podcast by Starista, probably the most entertaining marketing podcast you're going to put in your ears. I'm Vin, the associate producer here at Starista. The goal of this podcast is to chat with industry leaders and get their take on the current challenges of the market. And we'll have a little fun along the way. In today's episode, Vincent and AJ have a chat with John Busby, Chief Marketing Officer and Managing Director at Centerfield. He talks about capturing first-party data from customers and brands and how brands look for long-term customer relationships. Vincent visits San Antonio again, and AJ feels like the month between visits felt a little too long. Give it a listen. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of Starista's The Marketing Stir. I, of course, am your host of The Marketing Stir, Vincent Petrofessa, also the Vice President of B2B Products and Partnerships here at Starista. It is so nice to be talking to you once again. Let's talk about Starista just for a quick moment here. Who are we? Well, we're a marketing technology company. We focus on identity. We have our own business-to-business database. We have our own business-to-consumer databases. Customers utilize us to target those databases. Email marketing. We have our own DSP called Adster. We can do connected TV. We can do display. All in an effort to get you some new customers. That sounds great, doesn't it? Email me at vincent at sarista.com. That is how confident I am that I can help you. I just gave my email out to all of you. The other thing I'm confident in, two things, today's guest, as well as my commander in chief, my CEO, ladies and gentlemen from San Antonio, Mr. AJ Gupta. What's going on, AJ? Hey, Vincent. Normally you're more confident in me than the guest. So this is a, this is a welcome change. I know, that's it. I, I knew you would pick up on that. That's why I said I'm keeping you on your toes. I cannot wait. I'm coming down to San Antonio once again to see the great people there, the great teammates that I have. Are you excited about that, AJ? That, that should be really fun. I think uh, we are long overdue, even though we just saw each other last month. It feels like a long time. So. See, I like that. I like that. I love that enthusiasm. What's been going on? With, how's everything in San Antonio? Keep me posted. Let me know. What's up? Yeah, things are good. Uh, school restarted here. So it's, uh, I've never really understood why schools start as early as they do. So I have to make some uh, adjustments now to wake up a little bit earlier, but it is what it is. It is what it is. Yep. I know my son, he started his four-year-old program. He goes to a school here in Manhattan, the Tribeca Community School. Shout out to them. Maybe they'll give me a discount on my tuition. They won't, but let's at least try to give him a shout out. No, it's good. He's, he's really excited about it. We're in the process. We were, we were picking out new gear, fresh gear. He's already trying to dress himself. I'm like, that's my son. I love it. I love it. Oh. Hey, this is the uh, second time you've mentioned a company name. I feel like you might have some sponsors on the side <laughs> yes the other day i mentioned custom men they are that's my <laughs> custom suit guy but no no I, I know i have my own sponsors we don't have sponsors <laughs> of the show because we say no uh it's for the time being we're looking for the right but anyway yeah, but we're yes, like it, an early stage facebook it's too cool to have ads too cool right now then maybe later but no but no tribeca community school is definitely not a sponsor because i am paying them very much 
uh, a lot of money for my son to attend school, uh, more than my college cost. I don't know if that what that says, but anyway. So no, <laughs> that that uh, custom men, there might be, you know, they. I mentioned that they do great work. Do they throw me a discount? Maybe I don't know. Uh, it doesn't seem like it. But anyway, let's get to again why I'm so confident in today. It's our guest. Our guest, ladies and gentlemen. We are very happy to have him from Centerfield. Heard of them? Yes. If not, you'll hear more about them. Ladies and gentlemen, please, a warm marketing stir welcome for the Chief Marketing Officer and Managing Director at Centerfield, John Busby. What's going on, John? Hey, Vincent. Hey, AJ. How are you? Awesome. Hanging in there. Uh, this is my first day back from a long uh, vacation, not a vacation. I went to go visit my wife's grandmother, not a vacation. She's 95 years young. Happy to see her. Shout out to Pauline. Uh, she's not a sponsor for sure, but it's, it's great. How's everything with you? It's going good. I have a similar last couple of weeks as you guys. My daughter started middle school this morning. So there's a nice. lot of excitement about that. My son doesn't start until next week, but he's he's really into hockey, ice hockey. I am too, so he's been asking me to do workouts in the morning. So, um, <laughs> so we did a workout this morning. I'm all I'm all energized and and ready to go. The blood is flowing. The blood is pumping, and um, and I'm up here uh, in in my attic of my Seattle home. Still morning here, so all is all is well. That's awesome. Yeah. Thanks for joining us. Thanks for waking up early with us. Well, yeah, you were already at it. You know, my son, I'm, I, I, maybe I dread the point when my son is like, Hey dad, let's, let's have a workout. I'm like, I don't know if I'm a fan of that, but it, it's great. It's bonding. Well, who's your favorite hockey team? Well, Seattle is about to get a NHL team. Come uh, on. I yeah, didn't hear called, that. Called the Kraken. Yep. It's the oh, first. Wow. The first year is this year. So I grew up outside of Chicago, was a Blackhawks fan, but I'm switching allegiances. I've been in Seattle for 20 years and, um, and I'm just going all in on the Seattle teams. Well, 20 years is, that's good. That, that's allowable. I think it's 20 years. That's the, the same thing I'm kind of feeling. Uh, I used to root for the Chicago Bulls growing up. I'm from New York and it was, you're not supposed to do that when you're from New York because the Knicks were or here and that people love the Knicks, but I feel like my living in Manhattan, my son, I feel like we're going to go to a lot of Brooklyn Nets games because it's, they're, they're less expensive than the yeah. Knicks games and it's just there. So I put in my time, who knows? I still like Chicago. You got to stay with Chicago, even though they were amazing in the nineties, not so great since, but so I'll allow it. I'll allow it. Enough about this sports talk. We're losing my co-host AJ on it. Unless we're talking about tennis, we lose him a little bit, John, but I could talk for hours about it, but let's get right into it because I want our guests to really know you first and then the company second, but let's talk about Centerfield. For those people who are listening and they don't know about Centerfield, talk to me a little bit about that. Well, thanks, uh, Vincent, for the question. Um, just as an aside, AJ, if you want to talk tennis later, I became obsessed about a year ago, and I could use some pointers in my game. I'm also starting <laughs> a mixed doubles league with my wife, which which I'm feeling like is going to be good for our marriage, but but who knows if we get too competitive. Um, hey, hey, John, I'll, I'll just warn you, uh, mixed doubles leagues are not good for marriages. So oh, I, okay. <laughs> You heard it here first. I've been I've been warned. We'll see on season three then then how, how things are faring. Um, 
So, so yeah, so thanks for asking about Centerfield. We are a customer acquisition company. Um, we acquire customers on behalf of brands that you know, like AT&T, Clover, Spectrum, Amazon Web Services, Home Depot, Medical Guardian. So what, what, is, what does that mean? Brands pay Centerfield, they pay us on a performance basis to acquire customers via paid search, social media, and then our own, our own websites. So just like in the travel industry, Expedia, Expedia has its own website where um, hotels and travel companies pay a bounty for signups through Expedia. We have the same thing on our own websites like business.com or broadbandnow.com that reach 100 million folks a year. So we're not an agency. Um, our clients pay us per acquisition or a percentage of the revenue we generate for them. In terms of, uh, you know, you asked, you asked the outside, have you heard of Centerfield? Um, we're not yet a household name, but we're, we're big. Before I joined Centerfield, just before, we were in a best places to work competition in Los Angeles, and we won an award for small companies. And just this past month, we received the same award, but this time in the large company category. So we're really, we're really proud of that. We have more than a thousand employees and revenue well into the, into the nine figures. In terms of what I do, my team's responsible for creating conversations with prospective clients. So like traditional corporate marketing stuff. And then also I have a team that is responsible for content editorial and research for all of our owned and operated websites like business.com or security.org. Yeah. And thanks for that background, John. And lastly, I do want to, from me, from my first set of questions here, you talked about your role, but how did you get into marketing? We'd love to ask that on the marketing stir. We have a lot of people either trying to get into marketing career as students or changing their careers. Talk to me about your path. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for that question. Um, you know, I, I haven't had a 20 year career in marketing. And so if you're interested in marketing, you don't have to start in marketing in day one. Um, I, I like to say that I have 20 plus years of experience in marketing product and analytics. I started my career during the dot com boom and took a job, moved to California, took a job as a second full time employee outside of the co founders at a startup called IQ Chart. And we were focused on real-time stock charts, which are all over now. <laughs> but, but previously you had to get like this computer terminal and like a dedicated connection, pay a thousand dollars a month for that. We were offering it at, at 30 bucks. And I remember my first job interview, um, I, I actually really had never had a job before. And they gave me 30 minutes to write a press release, which was really easy for me because I was a pretty good writer. And in college, I participated in debate. So like, that's all I did. And they, they were, they were pretty happy and, um, uh, and they hired me on the spot and I moved to California and was off and running. In, in terms of like, like I learned right away what I like to do. I really didn't know what I was in for. I ended up um, doing everything that wasn't technical. I wrote every page of our website, did external comms. There was a phone in the server room that rang a couple times a day. I asked what that was. They said, that's our phone number. We don't answer it. So I became the head of customer service too. And, um, and in, the, in the next year we were acquired and I, I learned a couple things. Number one is I, I love to write things. Um, and so I loved writing all the website copy. I love trying to get press. And then I also love to use data to make decisions and decide what to focus on. So those are like the, the seeds on which my career has been, has been based. My start in B2B marketing, which I guess is what I do now, came by way of research and product management. So 
Fast forward about 10 years, I was running product at an advertising measurement company called MarchX. I'd been doing product for about a decade and we were entering a new category. That category was called call tracking or call analytics, basically attributing phone calls from digital marketing. And a lot of digital marketers really didn't know what that was. And so I recommended that we start an industry research internally called the MarchX Institute that was designed to study the space and publish research. So like content marketing, that kind of thing. We, we ended up using the research for pretty much everything in sales and marketing, and it eventually became our marketing strategy. So I ended up running marketing, marketing learned on the fly, um, did that for about five years. And then after a very cool detour at Amazon's grocery division um, in, in analytics and marketing strategy, I joined Centerfield, where I get to do things now that I really love and I think help the company. And Jen, specifically talking about lead generation, how do you view lead generation, especially when it comes to targeting? Uh, what are some of the tools that you guys are using? Well, um, in terms of B2B targeting or sort of like B2B uh, lead generation, so prospects that we want to become customers, we're doing a lot of, a lot of top of funnel virtual events. Um, kind, of, kind of like this podcast, I guess, in a way where we have really in interesting industry conversations about first party data or customer acquisition or lead generation. And in, in industries that our prospects care about, we have those conversations. And then, and then um, by, just by virtue of people attending those things, they generally say, oh, you guys seem pretty smart. Maybe you could help us out. And we start our, our, our conversations that way. Um, beyond, uh, beyond that, we have a, a marketing stack of Pardot and, and, um, and Salesforce and, and what not to do our email nurture campaigns and tracking and all of that. Um, but in terms of lead generation for end consumers, <clears throat> that's a very technology-driven thing for us. We are... Um, our entire service runs on a platform that we call Dugout, which is end-to-end -end customer acquisition. We built it at Centerfield over the last 10 years. It's all, it's all homegrown and it tracks users from click through to conversion and leverages a bunch of, of first-party data to make, uh, to make conversion work. And I'm happy to go into more detail on that if you like. Yeah, we, we love talking about first-party data. So we'd love to know you know, what are some of the uh, things you're capturing? What are some of the data points and data assets you guys have? Yeah, so um, I'll, I'll talk mostly about um, acquiring a customer for a brand, but, you know, like AT&T or, or ADT right. Home Security and what, what we use for that. So as you know, marketing isn't incredibly competitive. And unless you have really, really good first party data, it's very difficult to do digital customer acquisition at scale. So like, let's imagine that you're competing um, in Google for a term like best home security system. You know, there, there are like 10 brands and 10 aggregators and, and, and all these other like big publishers who desperately want that traffic and are willing to pay Google for that or willing to invest in, in SEO to show up in organic results. And if we're able to convert customers that come to our site just a little bit better than everyone else, then we can aff afford to pay more or invest, invest more. And we found that 
when, when we collect certain first party data from consumers, we're, we're much more likely to convert that customer. And it gives us a super competitive advantage when we're trying to buy media. So uh, like, let's imagine you're searching for, for internet. Um, you're, you live in Los Angeles, you want a new internet service provider. I mentioned my fiber internet was down today. So maybe I'll be doing that a little bit later if they can't, if they can't fix, fix it. So um, we wanna collect certain things from every consumer. We want, we want to know their location. We want to know if they're into gaming or streaming or care about sports or where they live. And we use all of this data to improve the online and the offline experience. That's really, that's really our bread and butter and why we're, uh, why we're successful. And John, you, you touched upon it there as well. You mentioned some, uh, you know, amazing telecommunications companies, but what's, what are those brands really looking for when it comes to leads? What makes an ideal lead for them? What are some of the tactics you're using without revealing the secret sauce, but would love to hear uh, more about that? Well, I think in terms of, in terms of what a telecommunications brands are looking for, I think they're looking for um, long-term customer relationships. And so not someone who's going to sign up for internet and phone and cancel in 30 days or not activate or, or something like that. And so I mentioned our business model is performance-based. And so, um, so in, if, if, we, if it's up to us, we don't want to be paid for a new customer acquisition. We want to be paid for a new customer acquisition after 90 days or after they activate or or um, pay back the money if the customer cancels within 90 days or 120 days. We want our incentives to be 100% in line, aligned with the marketers that we that we work with. So that part that part's super important. We're laser focused on on awesome loyal customers. In terms of like the the, the factors that like um, the factors that help close customers just to get a little bit deeper into the first party data um, and why I, I think you, you know this at Starista why it's so important is there isn't a single internet brand that covers everybody in the United States it doesn't it doesn't work that way um, you know even the biggest internet service provider only covers 50 or 60 percent of the population and so you must know down to the neighborhood which providers are available so you collect first party data about where someone is, and then having really good data about where, what internet options are truly available is a major, major criteria in, in conversion. And then intent is really important too. Like, um, and that's why we collect things like, like, why are you, why do we think you're here? Can the search query tell us why, why you're searching for internet, like you're interested in gaming or high speed or fiber or whatever. If you offer too slow of a package, that can be a turnoff or too expensive of a package can be a turnoff also. So first party data really helps us here. Another example in, in internet is like, we've learned that someone who's really into sports should be offered different products than someone who's not really into sports. So we have to find a way to get that data. And, and once, we, once we do, we're much better at acquiring customers on behalf of our, our brand partners. And John, I, I want to shed some more light on Centerfield. You mentioned that, and, and thanks for going 
in depth there on the telecom clients that you have. But let's talk about ideal clients for Centerfield, right? Here's, I want to get you out there because uh, I know you're doing some great work. Ideal clients, what are some of the targets that you guys are focusing on who could really take advantage of Centerfield services? And is that the targets that you're going after as, as CMO? Are you building to get uh, some awareness that way within those targets? Or are you helping the customers that you do have market their services to get new customers? If that all makes sense. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So in, internally, in terms of um, in terms of what I do on the corporate marketing side, I'm, I'm not doing the media buying. That's a different that's a different team. Um, what I what I do is my team does is create content and editorial for our owned and operated websites. Um, and then I also help on the corporate marketing side in two ways. One for our existing customers, letting them know about the other products and services that we offer so we can do do more work with them. And then also in categories or industries where we don't have deep penetration is creating new, it's telling our story, communicating how we can how we can help a prospect and hopefully having them become long-term customers of ours. Uh, we you could think of us as having having four divisions, if you will, or uh, one is is residential services. So like internet, TV, home. Um, home phone, home security, that that kind of thing. Second is um, is consumer services. So we own a property called Savings.com, where you can get coupon codes and um, and uh, discounts on goods and services across. So consumer services is another one. Insurance is is a third. We just acquired a, a company called um, um, DataLot, who's a leader in the insurance space. And then we also. Um, do senior products and services as well. So we have uh, we have a lot of of clients and customers that we can serve. Oh, I should have mentioned business to business as well. So what are we looking for or to enter a vertical? Usually, our clients sell high consideration products and services: internet, phone, home security, medical devices, credit card processors, that kind of thing. They're not cheap. You no, know, it's you have to sign a contract generally, or it's going to be a lot of money. And so consumers really want to have more information to make a good decision. And they want to make sure that, that they get a good deal from a product or service that they can trust. So that's, that's really what we help with. And also first party data is much more helpful when there's a high consideration product or, or service. If something's cheap, you know, you'll just kind of buy it. Something's more expensive, you need help. Jen, I actually heard about Centerfield for the first time when my uh, friend Callie Tran, who uh, introduced us, uh, joined Centerfield. And uh, like what you said earlier, I had no idea how big you guys were until I looked him up on LinkedIn when he joined. And I'm like, wow, this is a good company, household name, or should be that uh, on its way. So I'd love to know, you know, what you attribute your company's success to and how the growth trajectory is uh, looking. Yeah, well, thanks. Um, thanks for that. Callie's been with us um, probably six months now, and he's been amazing to work with. And I'm glad that you and I was able to introduce, be introduced to you through him. Um, so what do I attribute our, our success to? One is, um, one is our, our business model, for sure, that um, I, I've always had a thesis, and I think our, our co-founders 
Brett and Jason have always had this thesis that advertising is going to move to completely performance-based. And I'm sure you've seen in your time in advertising, when your incentives aren't totally aligned, something goes, something goes haywire. So the, the business model is, is really key. Second, it's definitely our technology platform. Um, when you're responsible for acquiring customers for a brand, you, you've got to have technology, you know, measurement technology, that, that kind of thing. And we tried to use third-party point solutions over the last 10 years. We've never been able to get them all to sort of be stitched together. And so we've made a massive investment in technology over the, over the 10, last 10 years, really with, um, with kind of three foundations built into the technology. One is to provide customers with choice. That means they need to be able to buy online, by phone, by chat, by text, any way a consumer wants to interact with us or with the brand we need to be able to do. Second is we need to provide customers with a reason to buy, whether it's a promotion, a deal, or, or a call to action. I'm sure, Vincent, you know this. You got to ask for the sale, right? And like, um, and so uh, we, we've really learned how to do that and do that in an automated way. And then third is have a relevant, consistent experience. I don't know if you've ever been on a website, you're looking at a deal, you're looking at products, you call someone and you go into the store and it, it's like it's apples and oranges. Um, and so we've, we've made a really deliberate effort to make sure that anything offline matches what we do online. So technology is like the, the, the second leg of the stool. And then the third leg of the stool is definitely our culture and our people. Um, we have an amazing culture at Centerfield. It's really fun to work there. It's very entrepreneurial and, um, and everyone at the company has a lot of autonomy and the ability to fail fast and which is, which is not punished is rewarded. And, um, and so all those reasons I could, I could babble, I suppose for another five minutes, but that, that's the, that's the gist of it. And John, with the kind of the number of web properties you have, is that something you continuously look to add more via acquisitions or, and I'm sure there's a considerable effort to promote those existing uh, properties as well, right? That's right. When I joined Centerfield, we actually didn't have any meaningful organic owned and operated properties. Um, we primarily generated leads and customers in uh, through paid search. And, um, and that, that was like phase one of Centerfield. And phase two of Centerfield was we have all of these customers coming in through our own paid search properties and they're not converting as much as we, we wish they would. And so we acquired a call center, a company called Qology based in Florida, which, um, which allowed us to answer the phone. And we now have a world-class call center that can that converts really well. And then we said, okay, well, we don't want to pay for all of our traffic. And so let's start dipping our toes into organic owned and operated websites. And we purchased this property called, um, called Broadband Now, which is a website where you can find and compare local internet service providers. And, uh, and after a year or two of, of upgrading the content and doing some SEO stuff and, and getting a lot of press for the site, it, it grew, it grew a lot. 
um, in terms of users, in terms of profitability. We said, we think we're onto something. And so since then, we've acquired um, uh, assets in home security, physical security, and digital security in senior uh, savings.com, which I mentioned, business.com. And I think that we'll maintain an aggressive strategy here because uh, we feel like we can really help consumers with these sites. And we're also good at, at taking sites which have a footprint and grow growing them. John, I wanted to talk about, you mentioned it. It was a, something that was on my mind. You talked about the insurance-based uh, marketing, you know, just uh, the acquisition there. Uh, talk to me about that acquisition and because I feel like the insurance business needs to change, right? I think it needs to inject some technology into it. I also feel that the pandemic allowed people or forced people to look at different types of insurance differently. And, and I think that's a, a, an area that's kind of, you know, moving, going up. So talk to me about that acquisition and the importance of it to add to the portfolio there. Yeah, I, I agree with the pandemic causing us all to look at our credit card statements or, and, and say, you know, how am I thinking about insurance or streaming TV or, or whatever. So we, we definitely see that with, um, with consumers. Insurance is a very attractive category to be a part of because it's an expensive product that every adult needs. And so if you have a solution to acquire insurance customers, that's very valuable. Um, insurance is a category that's high consideration, like I talked about before. And so um, we were always envious of that category, wanted to get into it, but it was difficult to start from scratch. So we acquired a company that we're really, really pumped about. It's called Datalot, based in Brooklyn. And they are a leader in customer acquisition and lead generation for insurance companies. And it's not just auto insurance, which gets most of the advertising. It's, it's home, life, Medicare, and, and so on. We feel really lucky to have been able to bring data field into the center field fold. The, uh, the founder, Josh, um, is, is a, a longtime friend of one of our co-founders, Jason. And we feel like Datalot has the same DNA as us. One is they're performance-based, so their clients pay strictly for outcomes. That's, that's like a, it's a, it's a must for us. Second is they're technology-based, um, so we convert better because we've invested in, in understanding what a consumer wants, whether it's more coverage or more savings or whatever, and linking them to the right company. And then third, the, the culture and attitude of the company and all and all of my new colleagues, we want to grow through delivering for customers. Like that's the main the main focus, and that's really fun and infectious to be a part of. Yeah, and it's a fun company in Brooklyn. You can't beat that. New York, love it. So, uh, John, talk to me about. We mentioned it right, and it's kind of still the elephant in the room, right, with the pandemic. But I think a lot of our listeners always love hearing the stories of how companies adapted and got through it and, and how they coped with the employees. But talk to us about the last year operations wise, how you kind of go to market to, to look for customers. How did the pandemic uh, alter that for you? Were you, were you big in uh, uh, conferences in person? Shed some light on that for us. Yeah, that's a great question. Um, work going all the way back to the beginning of the of the pandemic first 
I was freaked out, <laughs> you know, like, like what's going to happen with advertising dollars, what's going to happen with sales, with, with everything. And there are a couple of things that we started to understand in the first 60 days. One is that our tight customer relationships were tight and it, it, it felt and seemed like it, they were going to stay tight. Um, on the other hand, like brand new sales um, felt like they were going to be difficult. Like if you want to work with a major brand and don't have any relationship or just a casual relationship, you don't have a trade show or an in-person meeting to, to break the ice. Um, and so that was something that we really had to think about. And then on the flip side, and I'll get into our, our solution in a minute, we found that creating a relationship through really good content and research is working. And so, um, our focus now is creating really great content in virtual events and focusing on what attendees are going to learn. And that's working like, um, like sometimes when, when we were running events or going to trade shows or whatever, it's like, how can we speak to a thousand different people, but now we're getting very targeted. So let's say we want to get to know marketers in higher education, which is a category that that center field's in. We'll do a virtual event specifically on the marketing tactics of higher education. We'll get down super deep, super specific, and have a great conversation like the one that we're having today about what's going on right now. And we're not, we're not worried about whether or not we have 200 attendees. We want 25 attendees. We want it to be really intimate and, and we want to show that we can have an intelligent conversation about the problems that they're thinking through. And then hopefully that'll lead to a deeper conversation. And this actually proved to work for us. So that's the major thing for us in, in terms of the corporate marketing side of things. John, what do you guys do to keep uh, people who are filling out forms on the websites or signing up to keep them engaged uh, throughout the uh, process? And how long do you keep them on your subscriber lists? Well, um, one of the things that, that we want to do is when someone's on a, on like a landing page of ours, we, we want to have some type of interactive or, or gamified experience so that um, someone feels like they're giving information and getting more information back. So we feel at that time, we've started to create this first party data relationship where if the consumer comes back in the future, we can pick up where we left off. Um, so, so conceivably, we can, we can have this almost asynchronous relationship that can get back, back, to, um, back to where it was right away, like when you're connecting with a, a best friend you haven't talked to in a while. Um, but what we also do is offer consumers a lot of choice. So we try to encourage consumers to chat with us, to give our call center a call, or even give us the opportunity to shoot them an SMS or give them a call um, when we have something interesting to say. So we're, we're very active and aggressive in trying to create a long-term relationship for, uh, for our customers and brands. Now, when we're doing something on behalf of a brand that's, and someone signs up, that's essentially their customer. Gotcha. And, so, um, and so we're not, we're not reusing that data in any other way, but it's but but we're trying to keep that lead hot or warm to to get them to buy the product that our brand partners sell. 
Got it. And, and John, if we understand your model correctly, it is largely based on uh, performance. So there is, a, it sounds like they pay if you find them customers. Is that the right way of looking at? That's, exa that's, that's exactly right. Um, we, we can be sometimes paid on the lead, but that's not really what we prefer. We want to be paid if someone buys, buys the product because then we know that our client is happy. And also our client's likely to be able to pay the most money for that as well. And we're even happier when we have a relationship where we're paid like if someone stays a customer for a long time because um, then we can, we can get paid even more per, uh, per referral and our marketing partners are the happiest. So like everybody's happy. That's awesome, John. I, I know it's a hard model to make work and the fact that you guys are doing it at scale tells me that something is going very well for your clients, so. Thanks. And uh, John, before, we, before uh, you know, I'm gonna get into some other questions, some of our staple questions here before, <laughs> you know, then AJ gets into, you know, more of the, the personal side, you can talk tennis, but there's a, a few questions that we have. One of them is our staple. People write to us all the time saying, we love this question. So LinkedIn, people utilize it for a variety of different purposes, marketing purposes, especially sales purposes someone of your title, you must get a lot of LinkedIn messages. What's a LinkedIn message that resonates with you and says, you know what, I'll take that meeting, I'll respond. And what are some of your pet peeves that you just hate that you never respond to? I've been wanting to get off this off my chest for a long time. So. <laughs> this is what, well, welcome to the marketing story. We, we have the, the virtual couch. So, so you're right. I receive about 50 to 100 solicitations per day, whether it's wow. email, email or link. That, that's not all LinkedIn. I mean, most of that's email, but yep. a, lo a lot of a lot of solicitations. And um, and I'm curious if you all have the same pet peeve that I do. So I get I get a lot which are like um, 15 minutes of your time or can I call you at 1 p.m. today? And I, I literally do not understand. I don't I don't understand how those convert. Um, if maybe they work for, for you guys, maybe there's just some kind of thing that other people have unlocked that I haven't figured out to unlock yet, but non-specific, non-specific subjects and long, long intros, are huge turnoffs for me. If you're trying to, if you're trying to reach, reach me, I'm going to, I'm going to look at like 10 or 15 words max, and then just go to the next thing. Um, and so like, let's say that I want help creating and producing a podcast, like, like that's like, that's, that's something in the back of my mind that I want. The perfect title for me is we produce B2B podcasts. Can we help you? <laughs> you know? like, yeah. I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to read the first sentence of the email and then, or the LinkedIn message. And then at the first sentence is is like this long kind of mysterious thing i'm just like i'm gonna gonna pass and if they tell me really quickly why they're good then i'll um then i will respond so that's my that's my pet peeve that's my recommendation and i get so many i get so many emails on linkedin kind of 
kind of like kind of like trying to like do weird weird guilt things <laughs> do you get these two no well Which, uh, sometimes but i, I want to hear more this is but, good but there, it, it's it's like it's like i guess i guess you're not interested or i you <laughs> yeah. know that, that i've kind offended of you yeah, yeah right uh something or, like that or or they they say they say i know i know your time is precious okay and so i appreciate i appreciate that but like it's kind of um is is this an ironic thing where me reading the sentence, I know your time is precious, is wasting my time. And so yeah. just go in there and tell me what tell me what you want. If it's something that I need, I will respond. But I like that. That's that's I love the first sentence has to pique my attention. It's kind of like, you know, you always hear like content or videos. You have to get it right there. Resumes, right? When people look at resumes, oftentimes they're not looking at the entire thing, right? It's just it has to be there. I, uh, I, I agree. Those, those ones where I'll respond to people. Uh, so just today, just this morning, uh, this is the third email I received and they called me Vicnet, not Vincent, mm -hmm. Vicnet. They actually, uh, you know, turned it around and Hey, uh, you know, I must, I just want to get this top of your blah, 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 blah. I said, I'm not interested. And by the way, it's Vincent not Vicnet, mm -hmm. winky face, something like that. I don't know if I even put that, but I was just like, come on, you know, it's, it's not that, it's not that hard three times. So yeah, it's little things like that, but I, I'll respond just to, just to let, let them know, but yeah, you're right. It has to be, you know, short to the point or, or, or I also love, Hey, I listened to your podcast. Love you guys. Well, I'm listening. Now I'm listening. So battery uh, goes a, a long way with Vincent. Sure does. It sure does. Oh, big, big time. Bring it, bring it on. Yeah. Give me some compliments. Yeah. You know, <laughs> yeah. That's, that doesn't hurt. You know, I, I'm now I'm listening. you like compliments too, AJ. Who are you kidding? That flattery works with you too. Me? <laughs> <laughs> you know, but uh, John, another one. So kind of, you know, awesome career thus far, a variety of different aspects of your career. Talk to us. This is where we also, this is like, again, we get deep here. Uh, shining moment of the career thus far. You know, the highlight, shining moment. Oh, gosh. <laughs> I, don't, I, don't, I don't know. Um, you know, one of, my, one of my happiest moments was really, really early in my career. I don't know why this one just comes to mind, but, um, but, uh, but I, I was at this startup, we were doing real-time stock charts and we didn't really have any marketing presence. And um, I, I, do you remember the, I think it's still around, but the newspaper called Barron's, it's like a weekly. Oh yeah, yeah, Barron's annual, re there's, there's yeah. an annual report yeah, it's like too. A, it's like a yeah. sister publication of the Wall Street Journal or whatever. And I was at a trade show and I recognized the person's name. She was a, she wrote this review column for individual investors, I guess, at Barron's. And uh, I was a young, young kid, 23 or something like that. And I, I hustled and got in front of her and told her about our product IQ chart. She ended up writing a review in Barron's, a full page review on, on the product. And it, it, uh, it really made a lasting imprint on me that that things like like knowing your data i knew who she was i knew what she wrote about i had done i'd done sort of my research um uh hustle 
you know, I had to work up the guts to, to go and, and uh, talk to her. And then third, having, being a clear communicator in terms of what I wanted, why we were special, why, why she might want to write about us. And, um, and I, I go back to that story quite a bit because, because I feel, I feel like those things are what, are what mo are most likely to produce successful results in, in a career. And so I've, I've had a lot of great times at, um, at Centerfield. Um, you know, a couple of years ago, we were, uh, we were purchased by Platinum Equity. That was a really great, a great moment, a culmination of a lot of, a lot of hard work by our co-founders um, and everybody that I work with. Broadband now growing, all, all that stuff's been really cool. Um, uh, but I, I tend to go back to that story. John, just time for one more question. So I know we discussed earlier, you got into tennis recently. Would love yeah. to know a little bit more on your personal side. What do you like to do for fun? Uh, what have you been up to during the pandemic? Yeah, so um, the thing, something I really like to do is I, I mentioned working out with my son in the mornings playing, doing, doing hockey. I, I coach and I play hockey myself. So I'm generally out on the ice um, two or three times a week with my son's team or my daughter's team. And then, and then I play hockey. And then during the pandemic, my wife's been in tennis for like five or six years. And, and I started to play with her. And all of a sudden this light switch went off. Like I, I'm not sure why I wasn't like into tennis before, but then I became, became like crazy obsessed with it. And I try to play I try to play every day. It's so fun. I've never played an individual sport before. I've always played these team sports. And then um, I think the last category is I like to think like I can pick football games and, and play poker. Like I like both of those things a lot, but I think that the better way to describe me in those categories is like a barely competent amateur. So, <laughs> so those are more like for, for entertainment, but probably like, like a lot of people, I think like I'm really good at picking football games, but I'm Think I'm probably pretty average. <laughs> That's awesome. No, I, I love hearing that, and, and especially the hockey with the kids. You know, getting up and doing that. I love that Seattle's getting a team. I really didn't know that. I, I did not know that they're getting a new. Uh, so that'd be something to uh, go with the the kids too, and and take them the Kraken. What a great name! As in release the Kraken. Uh, that's, I, I already, maybe the episode we call it release the crack and that'd be cool. I'm kidding. Maybe who knows? Anyway, John, this has been awesome. Thank you so much. It's so, it's been awesome getting to know you, uh, these past couple weeks leading up to this. And, and of course today, uh, thanks uh, to Kelly for, uh, help, helping, uh, put this together. Love what you're doing at center field, ladies and gentlemen, the chief marketing officer and managing, managing director at center field, John Busby. I'm Vincent Petrofessa. That's AJ Gupta. This has been another episode of The Marketing Stir. Thank you so much for listening. We appreciate it. Talk to you soon. Thanks for listening to The Marketing Stir podcast by Starista. Please like, rate, and subscribe. If you're interested in being a guest on the podcast, email us at themarketingstir at starista.com. And thanks for listening.